So this morning we're going to be looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, we're going to be focusing primarily in verses 16 to 21, but I wanted to read verse 11 so that it gives us the full context um, of these verses. The letter of 2 Corinthians was written after a visit that Paul had made to Corinth, to the church, that was made in sorrow. He tells us this at the beginning of chapter 2. We don't quite know what happened, but somebody offended Paul or opposed Paul. And off the back of that, he wrote them some kind of a letter rebuking them and encouraging them to repent. That's what he tells us in chapter 7. But it's most likely that we don't have that letter. There's a chance that somewhere in Corinthians chapter 1 or uh, in chapters 10 to 13 of this book. But what we know is Paul's reaction back from that letter was one of joy. He was joyful that the people in Corinth, the church, were showing something of real repentance. They were showing something of a deep affection and a loyalty towards him. And this letter, what we have here, is something that expresses that thanksgiving to the people. Something that shows the thanks, uh, his thanksgiving for their repentance and for their obedience. But still further reconciliation was needed between Paul and some of the members of that church. In this section specifically, what we see, what we're going to look at this morning, is his reminder to the Christians of the work of Christ and the responsibility that comes with that. The first point, the first thing that Paul comes to, I think, is this idea of living through God that we find in the first couple of verses in here. We've got a couple of pictures to throw up. Um, as I was reading this, I was drawn to the word appearance. And I can't help but think we are in a world that is obsessed with appearance. Everywhere we go, there are magazine covers, there are billboards, there is advertising, there is social media, there is everything round about us that portrays this world as a world that is obsessed with appearance. A world that says, if you look good physically, that's the number one. That's the most important thing. I don't know about you, but I'm not always now the first in popular culture. I feel like I'm getting old. But if I hear some of these new celebrities, these new famous people, they get tens of millions of pounds all of a sudden. And you kind of ask, why are they famous? And it's like, they stick a camera in front of their face and make YouTube videos. And they've got loads of money. And it amazes me sometimes the things that make people famous. There is a pressure, especially on our young people. It scares me how much pressure our young people find to conform. How much pressure there is to dress a certain way. Our culture, everything that's outside of God, is in some way built on something that is superficial. We're bombarded with latest trends. We're bombarded with this idea that you need new, that you need more, that what you've got isn't good enough. How easy is it to be caught up in these things? These worldly, these superficial things. And Paul's going on about something like that. 
What we see in this passage is Paul giving us a practical outworking of his commitment to being a new man in Christ. Verse 16 tells us that he used to judge people, including Jesus. He would judge by earthly standards, like us, like those before we knew Christ, like those that with Christ. We judge according to the flesh. We judge in the superficial. It's a shallow judgment and a judgment that has no place in our hearts. What Paul does in this, what he often does, is set out a standard. He sets out a standard that those he is writing to. He's telling his readers that when you come to Christ, when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, now we live for ourselves. Eh, sorry, now we live for God and we no longer live for ourselves. It's an understanding that because of the death, because of the resurrection of Jesus, our judgments and our attitudes towards fellow people is now different. At one time, Paul measured all men, including Jesus, by their appearance, by the superficial, by worldly standards. How many times do we look at people or do we hear something and do we judge people? How quickly does that turn to gossip? Or does it lead us to treating people differently? Jesus was regarded in a worldly view. They crucified him. They crucified him as a troublemaker. But we know that from the correct worldview, from the godly worldview, that Christ is the Messiah, that Christ is the Son of God. What Paul shows us in verse 16 is a change of attitude. It is a transformation that takes place in anybody who is in Christ. Every person that has been transformed by Christ through the Spirit is a new creation. What does that mean? It means that as believers, God lives in us. It means that I am never alone. Never, ever, ever am I alone. It means that when I'm in my lowest moments, it means that when I'm in my highest moments, God lives within me and I do not have to do things in my own strength. Verse 17 reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If we're in Christ, we simply are a new creation. One of my favourite times of year is spring. I love it that through winter everything is dyed on the plants have been stripped back. And then in, some, in spring, incredibly, things grow back. Even better, even more beautiful than before. Things that were dead have come to life. The beauty of last summer is gone, the old is dead. Creation is coming back. It's more beautiful than it was last year. As we read about how we should no longer judge people by their appearance, by the superficial, we see that everything of the old has passed away. 
When we say everything, we're talking about bad habits. We're talking about the habitual sin that we struggle to kick. The things that cloud, the things that mar our relationships with Jesus. We're told to put it all away. Because everything has become new. There's something very definitive in the words of Paul here. There's no option in this. There's no percentage in this. We can't decide which bits we're going to adopt of this new creation and which bits of the old creation we want to keep hold of. But we're commanded and we're told to let go of it all. There is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. They're definitives. If we follow Christ Jesus, we are a new creation. And our lives, the marks, the language, the behaviour that we have should reflect that. We should seek to live a life that glorifies the Creator and acknowledges continuously that we are a new creation. The fifth, sixth words in this, in Christ, we read, are two incredibly important words. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means that we have security in Christ. There is nothing more secure, there is nothing safer than being in the presence and having the assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. Our acceptance is in Him. Our future assurance is in Him. We are a new creation because of our faith. Through Christ we will see the ultimate creation in eternal life. We are unable to produce Christ-like character in ourselves. That's why I brought this heading, Live Through God. Because the only way we can produce Christ-like character is to live through God. I don't know about you, but every year I try and make some kind of New Year's resolution. I'm always like, right, today I'm going to start doing something. I think my record's been three days. I've never really gone much further past that with a New Year's resolution. I'm not very good at Putting something up, sticking to it, and going with it. But we're called to do all things through God's strength and not our own. And as a new creation, that is what we have. We have the ability to rest in something, in someone, in the creator of this universe, and not ourselves. <laughs> How do we do it? Firstly, we admit it. We say, God, I cannot live this life by myself. We surrender ourselves in everything to God, even the bits that we'd rather God didn't see in our lives. Every day we commit ourselves to Him. You probably heard the analogy when you were a kid, this idea of being a leaky bucket. That every day you need to be topped up so if you don't put anything new in it, the bucket's empty. That's like us every day. We need to be filling ourselves with God or we become empty. We quickly become reliant on ourselves and less and less 
on God. We'll move on. I've called the second point, live for God. We find in verses 18 and 19. It reads, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Our culture tells us to do what makes us happy. It tells us that really no matter the consequences, as long as you're happy in the here and now, that is all that matters. If it feels good, do it. If you want to do it, do it. But God says, do what makes me happy. Not because our salvation, our acceptance depends upon it. Because absolutely it doesn't. But because we are a new creation, because Christ lives in us, because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we are called to live a life that glorifies Him. It's totally against our nature to rely on anything but ourselves. But everything we have Our salvation is from God. Everything that we have is from God. This tells us. After we come to Christ, the old value system, the old priorities, the beliefs, the laws, the plans, they're gone. Yes, evil and sin are still present. That's just what we have to live with in this broken world. But no longer does does sin control us. We are called to live from this new perspective. Are you living a life that is clear to see by all that the old has gone and the new has come? For some, this is really radical, it's really evident. I can't get enough of testimonies of former drug dealers, of former murderers that come to Christ in this incredible moment in prison eh, or through great Christian ministries. And it's so evident, it's so evident that they come to Christ, that Christ is breaking through, that Christ is breaking generations of addiction in families in one encounter and seeing lives radically, radically transformed. But for a lot of us, that's not us. We've grown up in church. Maybe you don't even have a definitive moment that you came to Christ. And you certainly don't have this big prodigal son story. And I often hear people say, with, with this kind of story, I don't really have anything to share. My testimony is nothing impressive, it's boring. But I want to say, I believe that's nonsense. I think that you have the best testimony. You didn't waste years of your life being outside of Christ. And your testimony is one of incredible faithfulness. Often faithful parents are part of that journey. And that in itself is incredible. That they want to bring you up in a good and a godly way. Don't underestimate your testimony. 
We are a new creation. A creation that should seek to glorify God, to live differently according to the creative standards and not our own. And it's just one of the examples that Paul gives us. The earthly standards, when we come to judge people, are not accepted. We are called to love all. We're not called to judge by superficial standards. We are people set apart from the standards of this world. We are called to a higher standard, to the standard of the King. We don't obey to be accepted, but we obey because we are accepted. It's a Tim Keller quote, and I love it. It's a brilliant statement. I love it because it speaks such truth. Because I'm a new creation, because Christ is at work in me, I want to dedicate, I should want to dedicate my life to his service. What does it look like? Well, we know that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Our trespasses are not counted against us. We are able to know true freedom. I want us to pause and think about our priorities for a second. If somebody was to watch you in your day-to-day life, who would they say that you serve? Do you show God that you love Him, that you honour Him with your life in your day-to-day interactions? If we are a new creation, we should do everything we can to conform to the image of Christ. Are we living lives that seek to obey Christ above everything else? To live a life for God is to live a life that is obedient to God. Where are the areas that you need more help? In obeying God. Take it and lay it at the foot of the cross. Bring it before God. Bring it before God. The third thing that we come to is this final point of living with God. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Verse 20. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. I love this word ambassador. It's a very vivid term. It's a term that has a lot of a lot of stuff attached to it. <coughs> to me it, it brings up something of great nobility. It brings up something of good standing. Somebody very smart. Somebody that probably talks really posh. But in ancient times, ambassadors were older men that were chosen by emperors or by kings. There's some kind of ring of dignity about this uh, idea, about this word, and it conveys a big message that I want to unpack slightly. An ambassador wholly represents the government by which 
he has sent, by which he represents. If you mistreat an ambassador, you are mistreating the country that that ambassador represents. If you take an ambassador out of your country, that is a statement to the country in which that ambassador has been sent. An ambassador speaks wholly on behalf of his nation, of the ruler that they represent. Really, the ambassador's own thoughts, he surrendered them. They become invalid because everything that they say, everything that they do is a representation, represents the kingdom that have sent them. Which means that, that the person, the character and the virtue of the ambassador should represent the kingdom by which they are sent. An ambassador is a messenger. The message has authority, not because of who they are, but has authority because of the nation, because of the kingdom that it comes from. Also, an ambassador is in a foreign land. He spends his life in a country that's strange to him, different culture, a different language. He has to live and interact with a different lifestyle. He has to endure a different tradition to his own. An ambassador fully lives in a foreign world. Yet in that foreign world, they don't conform. Because they are still the representative of the nation that they are sent from. He still has his own king. He still has his own monarch. His monarch does not become that of the country that he is in. So to bring that home, we are ambassadors of Christ. Here we are, as we're told in this alien world. We're told our citizenship is in heaven. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We belong somewhere else, but we are sent into this world. We've been called into this role of ambassador to tell the people of this perishing world that there is hope. That there is a future, that there is something more, that there is something better than is here now. Each one of us that is in Christ is an ambassador of Christ. Everything that you do represents Christ. Your actions will be the gospel to the vast majority of people that you meet in your daily life. That's quite scary. I can't think of how many people I have been a terrible witness to. But we are called. We are called to be ambassadors to take the message of Christ, this message of reconciliation, this message that Jesus saves. The world's watching. People here were Christians and they think, interesting. I wonder what that means for their life. Are you living a life that represents the kingdom of God? 
were created to be in community with God. When man was first created, we walked in the garden, we walked with God. Man spoke freely with God. And the entirety of life, everything revolved around the magnification, it revolved around the glory of God. But sin came and it vastly changed this world. Our desire then was no longer for community with God, but was for community with our sin. Our ideas of community, our ideas of fellowship, of togetherness, are flawed. But in God, we find perfect community. See the beauty that there is in God. Try and grasp something of the unconditional love that Christ has for you. Experience the goodness that comes with being a new creation, that comes with being in Christ. Strengthen your relationship with God. Spend time, spend more time in Him. It's horrible to think how many minutes of the day I spend solely focused on God, who I claim to be the most important part of my life. Have faith that you are safe in God's hands. Place your hope in Him above anything else, above any circumstance that you face. I just wanted to read something that I will quickly go through from my same creed that, that, that focuses, that speaks of the Trinity, and it just says this I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Begotten, not made. Being of one substance with the Father, and I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. What this means, what it means for our idea of community, is that our perfect idea of community is found in God himself. The Trinity is the perfect relationship. Yes, it's one we don't quite understand and how many thousands of pages of textbooks have been written to try and understand that we can't grasp it. But God is the perfect community. In our lives we long for acceptance. We long for community. We long for relationships. But there's no greater relationship than that which is found in Christ. That is why this message, the message of the ultimate reconciliation that Paul is charging people with here, that ambassadors of Christ, each one of us is given and told to take to the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so important because it is the message that you can find satisfaction, that you can find community, you can find what you are longing for, but only in Christ. I want to conclude with verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ died so that we might live through him and for him. And that we might live with him. For our sake. God didn't have to redeem us. There was no requirement, there was no pressure on God to bring us to himself. But he did. God was absolutely within his right to let each one of us perish. But he didn't. He pours out his grace upon us. And it is our duty to take that message of the ultimate reconciliation that a man can be reconciled to God, to this world. If you were in Christ, Christ died for you. If this morning you are not living a life that represents a new creation, if you are not living a life as an ambassador of Christ, I have good news, it's not too late. It's never too late. I urge you to think about that this morning. I urge you to give to God the areas of your life that you really don't want to. I urge you to live in the true freedom that we have that is found in Christ. Give every bit of yourself to God. Live through him, live for him, and live with him. Let's pray. God, it's incredible to think that you, the most holy, the most sovereign, the most powerful God, came to earth as a man to be beaten, to die, to be resurrected for me. Lord, would you just hammer home to us? Would you hammer home to us the beauty of the work of Christ? Lord, would you make it the first thing in our hearts, the first thing on our lips? Lord, would we be so in love with you, want so much of you, that nothing, nothing can deter us from sharing the ultimate, the ultimate reality that there is relationship possible with God. Challenge us, I pray. Amen.